Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 42 of the Retrospectus podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Turlings. James, you're ready to discuss Dark Messiah of Kicking and Kicking uh, on this episode today? Kicking and Kicking is going to be right, Patrick, but uh, I think you'll find there was a lot of uh, freezing and mind controlling in there too. Yeah, this game we're playing this fortnight, it half feels like an environmental puzzle game half the time as opposed to a hack and slash. Um, We are, of course, doing Dark Messiah of Might and Magic uh, this episode. But before we get into describing that, first of all, we are the Retrospectors podcast. Each and every fortnight, James and I play through a classic game of the past from start to finish. And then we have an in-depth discussion and review of it to determine if that game has truly stood the test of time. We don't really care about how good these games were in their heyday when they were first released. We just want to know, is it still fun to play today? Has it truly stood up? Is it worth playing in amongst all the brilliant titles that get released every single year? We are, of course, doing Dark Messiah of Might and Magic uh, for this Fortnite's episode. It's a first-person action RPG that was first released in 2006 for the PC. There's also a version released in 2008 for the Xbox called Dark Messiah of Might and Magic Elements, which, as far as I can tell, basically just stripped back all of the freeform class customization and just gave you one of like four preset classes. I don't know why they did that, but that's the other version. So play the PC version. Um, it was made by Arcane Studios, which are most famous for Dishonored and Prey, which are both games that I hold in extremely high regard. And I'm sure you you think fondly of them as well, right, James? Um, not as highly as you do, definitely. Um, I just thought that Prey was just okay, and Dishonored was also just okay, actually. Yeah, they're, they're some of the better games that I've played, I think, in recent years. I think that Perhaps I don't hold them quite as high as the absolute fanatics do, but Prey in particular is a masterpiece. So it was it was interesting going back to a game that Arcane Studios made back uh, when they were a newer developer. <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah, you know, long long enough ago. It's not quite Arx Fatalis, but it's it's still pretty old. So this game takes place in the rebooted Might and Magic universe. So we've done Heroes of Might and Magic 3 uh, on an earlier episode. And the important thing to know about the Might and Magic games is that there's like a split in the middle. So Might and Magic 1 through 7 in Heroes of Might and Magic 1 through 4 are in a different universe to this game, Might and Magic 8 onwards, and Heroes of Might and Magic 5 onwards. Because when 3DO went bankrupt and Ubisoft took over, they completely rewrote all of the lore and backstory of the entire world. So while there are a lot of assets shared between the two universes, it's a completely different world and story and background. So this is in the new one. This is in post-Heroes 5 universe. Yeah, and I've heard uh, a lot of people are quite salty about this uh, this retcon. Apparently, uh, Heroes of Might and Magic was gearing up for a really cool plotline before they uh, kind of swept the rug from under it. Well, yeah, the game, I think Heroes 3, the expansion pack, like ends with these two swords that were never meant to be cross-crossing creating a nuclear explosion and basically wiping out all life on the planet. So they had to go to a whole new world and all this interesting stuff. And then uh, 
yeah, apparently five onwards, the story becomes a lot worse. But uh, I mean, well, well, we'll talk about the story of Dark Messiah lately. <laughs> but, uh, it has some issues. So that's the universe, the broad setting that uh, Dark Messiah takes place in. Um, before we get into the discussion proper, just a couple of housekeeping things. Um, James and I both played on PC, of course. Playing on the Xbox version is not recommended in the slightest. If you're going to play this game, play the PC version. Um, in terms of bugs and issues we had getting it running, broadly speaking, I encountered many bugs, and I think we'll get into discussion of the intricacies of all the glitchiness yeah. and bugginess Many, later. many, 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 many bugs in this game. But on a baseline level, the game did work for me. Like, it, 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 it functioned, I was able to install it and get loading and working. Um, did you have any issues getting it installed or anything, James? No, you just download it off Steam and press the install button and it just boots up, you know. Um, there's, a, there's a funny couple of drop-downs you have to change to get a full resolution working, but I didn't have to install anything out of the box to get the game running, um, unlike a lot of older titles that we've covered before. Um, I will say that this game did crash on me a lot and I was never able to fix that, despite trying to find some fixes online. I just couldn't find anything to stop that. The game, you know, heaps of people said they had, uh, you know, cheeky methods of fixing the crashes, but nothing worked for me. Um, the game crashed, you know, twice an hour the entire playthrough for me. It wasn't quite that bad for me. I'd say I crashed somewhere between five to ten times total, which is still still a lot. But at still the very lot, least, yeah. the game the game regularly auto saves itself. So between quick saves and auto saves, I didn't end up losing that much progress. No, I never lost any progress either. It was just really annoying. But other than that, it ran fine for me. Yeah, and we'll get into the details of the bugs later because I'm sure we've got a couple of stories. Um, I will say there's one there's one final note I want people to be aware of. Um, if you are an arachnophobe, you should not play this game because, honest to God, I know this game was released in 2006, but I'm not, I'm not an arachnophobe, but spiders do creep me out of it. And these are the scariest, most off-putting spiders I've encountered in a video game ever. And this is fucking 2006. There's something about the way their legs move. Oh. Last year, we played Silent Hill 2. And I gotta say, this game scared the shit out of me way more than that game did. Um, as somebody who was uh, deathly afraid of spiders, I found this game... Uh, I didn't sleep a couple times after playing this one. I'm going to put it out there. Uh, you're not wrong. Those things are fucking terrifying. Yeah. And they make up like a... Th they're like a third of the game too. Like it's not like a little portion of the game. There's like there's a lot of them. Yeah, so, it's uh, it's surprising, isn't it? Like I don't know because I mean I never like spiders in video games, obviously, but these ones are notably off-putting, and you know that they like the way they crawl on the walls. And ugh. so I'm pretty arachnophobic, and in a lot of games. Um, you know, video game spiders don't really creep me out because they don't look realistic enough. These ones, these mm. ones, they did a really good job of making them seem believable and it is horrifying. Yeah, so I just wanted to put that out there. Just be warned coming into this game. If you are truly arachnophobic, 
maybe just don't play this game because yeah <laughs> i i don't know how they're so scary but they are so just be aware of that okay so um that's about it for the basics so the basic premise of the game is you play as sarath who's apprentice to a wizard named fenric um for the tutorial of this game you loot a cave for a magic crystal and then after getting that crystal you get told to meet another wizard called menelag who you are told will help you loot another cave to get the MacGuffin that's called the Skull of Shadows. And the Skull of Shadows is a magical artifact that will allow you to defeat the evil necromancers that are waging evil war on all of the goody goods in the nation. And then, <laughs> of course, adventures ensue with lots of plot twists and things not going as planned, but uh, eventually you try and get the Skull of Shadows to save the day. We'll, um, we'll get into a full spoiler discussion of the stories and a full criticism of the story later. But I think for now, that's the basic premise. You're a guy who's looting caves for magical artifacts. You're Indiana Jones, basically. Uh, <laughs> that's a lie, but anyway. That's, that's a huge lie, Patrick. <laughs> let, let's get into what people really play RPGs for, the gameplay. So, James, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the gameplay. Do you, do you want to take us off with a description of what uh, the gameplay of Dark Messiah and Magic is like? So, when I first started playing Dark Messiah of Might and Magic, I made this very fatal error of trying to, uh, you know, fairly fight enemies. Um, I quickly learned through uh, many, many, many deaths that uh, the best way to play this game is to not fight fairly at all and to use every underhanded tactic at your disposal to uh, take care of the nasties in your way. Dark Messiah of Might and Magic differentiates itself from many other action games by having a, uh, a very physics-based combat, and I think that's the defining feature of this game. Uh, you have the ability to kick your opponents into spikes, off cliffs, into other enemies, downstairs, down holes, into fire... Um, and many, many magical abilities that allow you to do weird manipulations of the environment, like uh, um, freezing the floor so people slip on them, uh, shooting rope arrows into the ceiling for you to climb up in a really janky physics way. I think, uh, I think the weird physics interactions of the combat are the defining feature of this game, right, Pat? Yeah, so broadly speaking, I would say there are like four tenets of the um, the combat. And of course, there's a lot of overlap between them. They are stealth, magic, combat, and then I'd call the fourth one, just broadly speaking, physics manipulation. And all of the, a lot of things touch on that physics manipulation, but it's as just as important as the others. And in a lot of cases, it's the most important one. So, you know, you've got a sword fighting system, you can cast magic spells, you can sneak around in the shadows. And then, as James said, you've got all the physics things, throwing barrels at people, kicking people, creating ice patches on the floor, throwing oil against flames to create um, larger larger explosions, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, on top of this system, there's kind of a, uh, a nuanced talent tree of sorts, so you can craft your character, you know, uh, kind of in any way you want, you know, between character that uses a lot of equipment like swords and shields and staves to a you know a, a pure magic user or a stealthy character patrick i know you love your stealthy characters uh did you uh did you gravitate towards that side of the tree 
Of course I did. So yeah, I um <laughs> over over the course of my playthrough, I touched on most of these styles of combat, with the exception of magic. I did a little bit of tinkering with it, but I'm by no means an expert on it. But the thing I sunk all of my abilities into, of course, was to create basically a stealth archer. Just immediately, because <laughs> That's just yeah. I knew you'd do that. I, I knew exactly what you were gonna do as soon as I saw that talent tree. I was like, "These are the this is the uh, the Patrick section the Patrick of the tree." Section. So I, I I'm gonna go it, over. I'm, I know, I know. So that's why I, for the sake of the show, dumped every single point into magic. <laughs> okay, so let me let me tell you a little bit about the stealth because basically the stealth is completely broken. And it's completely both completely I think broken. Everything in this game is broken. <laughs> so, so the stealth is completely broken and useless, and completely broken and overpowered at exactly the same time. So, <laughs> basically, initial problems with stealth. Number one, the lighting and shadow system is incredibly inconsistent and hard to comprehend. So, it's pretty easy to identify the areas which are like deeply shrouded in shadow that you'll basically be invisible in and it's easy to identify the areas which are just in complete brightness but it is impossible to tell in between how how concealed you are there is an on-screen indicator but that on-screen indicator seems random you can't just look at the light sources around you and say oh i'll probably be hidden there it's it's just completely inconsistent and broken mm-hmm What's more, there's no transitioning from darker patches to lighter patches. You can go from complete darkness to being completely revealed with a single footstep if you step out of the shadows. So that by itself just breaks the stealth in half because it makes it so difficult to actually actively sneak around accurately. Number two, enemies abruptly turn on their heel during patrols with no rhyme or reason. And when you're trying to slowly sneak up behind someone to stab them in the back, that can cause a lot of issues. Because Mm -hmm. once you break stealth, all hell breaks loose. And uh, stealth for that section is completely off. Um, And there are plenty of places where stealth is basically impossible just wide open areas and just the level design doesn't facilitate it it's like there are specific areas where the game says all right we'll allow you to be stealthy in this and then the rest of the time it's like fuck you good luck trying to stealth but james that's just why the stealth doesn't functionally work why it's annoying and why i hated it but that doesn't tell you why it's broken so here's why it's broken so it's a combination of two things Number one, when you are in shadows, like fully concealed in shadows, there are specific patches that are just, you are just completely invisible. For an enemy to spot you, they need to be looking directly at you. So like they need to be looking directly at you, not even slightly to the side, and you need to be directly in front of them. So you can be walking around in circles of them basically, and no one spots you. But the thing that breaks it is that, and also why the stealth is fucked, is that did you know that when you stealth kill an enemy, it alerts all the enemies in the area that you've stealth killed what? an enemy. That's yes. fucking terrible. It just defeats the point, right? And here's yeah. what I think has happened. I think what happens is when you kill the enemy and they drop their weapon, like they drop their sword to the ground. Oh, it makes a noise? It oh makes a God, noise. Because so I, was, I was trying to figure out what was going on because you stealth kill an enemy with no one around. No one could possibly see you and everyone comes around to your area. And it's like, how is this happening? And it's because there are stealth, sorry, there are physics in this game. 
So you can't isolate an enemy, stealth kill him, and then move on. But James, this works in your favor. Does it? Because what happens is you stealth kill someone in complete shadows, someone comes to investigate it, and then you stealth kill that enemy. Oh, my God. And then someone comes to investigate. (laughs) So if you can locate a patch of complete shadows you can just stealth kill eight people in a row as each guard comes to that same area where you're completely invisible and you stab them in the back. I um, I mentioned before I didn't quite have the right mindset coming into this game to begin with. Um, I played on the hard difficulty, not hardcore, which mm. I believe is the hardest. And Me too. For the first hour or so, I found this game really hard. Um, and then like, I stopped trying to fight enemies 1v1 and just started trying to cheese them in any way I could. And then, like, the difficulty plummeted because, uh, you know, I realized how to play the game. That uh, that way you're describing of kind of cheesing enemies with stealth. I mean, I did that as well, but with a lot of different methods myself. And uh, I didn't put a single point into stealth or bows because uh, I used a bow once and uh, decided never to touch them ever again. Um, they take so long to pull back and to shoot the... I mean, there's a, there's a talent you can get that... Uh, reduces that time but i never tried because it just uh, it just sucks it's fucking terrible <laughs> so your your dps with the bow and arrow improves as you go on but even when it's like all maxed out it still isn't very strong so what you want from bow and arrow combat is you want your arrows to be lethal or close to lethal you want high damaging arrows and it's okay for them to take like a long time to charge up and it to be like clunky but you need those arrows to do a lot of damage otherwise it feels kind of like i don't know it's the point it's like you're throwing rocks at them right but if you shoot an arrow through someone's head it should basically kill them this game kind of goes the other way like with all of the perks and like your strength maxed out to improve your weapon damage you can shoot a lot of arrows rather rapidly, uh, but that's that's not anywhere near as fun as lethal and stealth. You know, stealth kills with a bow and arrow. You get a bunch of special bows too, right? Because this game has a you know a fairly diverse equipment set throughout the game, and I found a bunch of poison fire and ice bow weapons throughout. The, you know, I couldn't use them, but they were there. Mm. Did you did you make use of those to improve the archery a bit? Yeah, so basically they would give you one or two arrows worth of like special abilities and then they'd revert back to their basic bow form. It's not what? like... Uh, well, so the, bas- the idea is that they basically had spells attached. Uh, so like the ice arrow, the first one you shot would freeze an enemy or would release a poison cloud or something like that. I thought they would so, all do that, right? Like every arrow they shot would be... Uh... That, that would be very broken. If you, could, if you could just freeze an enemy with every single arrow, it would be busted. Because that's, right. like, that's like a spell, and you're also doing damage to them. So, do they not just have a cooldown or something like that, like the first one? And... I, think, I think it must be a cooldown. But basically, it ends up being a fairly minor effect if you're trying to... Right. If you're trying to bow and arrow people. So in the end, I barely used it except to cheese enemies in specific spots, you know, against melee enemies or, uh, you know, some boss some boss fights. I was just using only the bow and arrow, most boss fights, actually. But, uh, Man, you think that sounds broken? Uh, you, you very obviously didn't make a mage character because uh, I tell you what, every single spell the mage has is broken in half and it's fucking great. Okay, tell me a bit about the magic because basically the stealth is busted. I will say, I will render judgment on it. The stealth is just bad. 
sometimes jankiness can be good and jankiness is often excellent but i think that in order for jankiness to be enjoyable there needs to be like a baseline level of functionality and i think the stealth in this game lacks that baseline level of functionality like it's too broken for the janky deviations from it to be enjoyable it's just it's just completely and utterly balked and obviously i used it throughout the game because that's how i like to play these games but it was just unsatisfying towards the end so if you're going to play this game just know that if you make a stealth based character it's it's not it's not fun this is not good stealth gameplay no i read as much online when i was a uh... You know, just reading people's opinions on the game. Uh, basically, everybody recommended either to make a warrior or a mage-type character. Um, and I'm really glad that I chose mage, because it is really fucking fun. I will say that um, I think this game is a lot more fun at the beginning than it is near the end, just because while there's a lot of physics stuff and, like, lots of neat tricks you can do with the magic, um, it's not as deep as it seems to be on first glance like for the first like um you know four or five hours this game was incredible for me gameplay wise and uh then you know near the near the 11th hour at the end it was starting to get a bit repetitive however up until then magic was the funnest thing i've experienced all year so the magic system kind of in the talent tree is split off into two major branches um, a damage branch and a utility branch. Um, the damage branch has stuff like fireballs and lightning bolts, fire traps, um, icicle and a flamethrower at the very end, while the utility branch has stuff like telekinesis and heal and mind control um, and damage reduction and weaken. Um, and I gotta say, the utility branch uh, in the magic is completely broken in half. Um, and it's it's so much fun. Um, I'd put my first points into telekinesis and was running around, you know, picking up barrels from across the room, throwing them into a bunch of enemies. You can do this with um, just your normal strength, but I find it's a lot more clunky and harder to do. And uh, in addition to that, like, it's very obvious that the game world is built around you having access to these spells, for example, because... Uh, there's all sorts of items hidden behind bars or on weird ledges that there's no way you could get unless you had telekinesis. Um, and I found like a lot of use for it throughout the game. Um, beyond that, the next point I got was in mind control. And I gotta say, I spent like half of the game just like crouched behind a uh, door uh, casting mind control on enemies. Because when you do it, um, they become your ally for about no 30 40 seconds and then immediately aggro onto the nearest enemy so you can just like sit in the shadows and i didn't have any points in stealth you can just hide and have a whole room just kill each other until it's down to the um the last man because i didn't put any i don't know if about you but i didn't put any points into health so uh any times i got into like a close-up brawl it was a big problem for me so i really relied on having these really sneaky underhanded tricks from the magic system i think the most broken spell though probably wasn't even that it was probably the ice power because um when you first get ice you realize that you can freeze enemies which gives you like four sword hits on them or something and then you know you're like 
This is okay, I guess, for some crowd control, but uh, the real use of this spell is uh, putting a patch of frost on the ground because uh, enemies that run through it trip 100% of the time and you can just kind of like stand in front of a cliff and you put an ice patch in the ground and any enemy that runs towards you just like goes flying off the cliff. Uh, I probably killed like half the enemies in this game by sending them falling through their death either via kicking or with the ice spell. It was great. Um, I don't think I killed any enemy, uh, you know, 1v1 with a sword uh, past maybe the first hour of the game. So let's um, let's talk about this a bit. So basically it sounds like magic complements your physics base messing around, right? At, le yeah. at least the way you played. And you seem to be very high on this kind of gameplay. So... My stance on this kind of gameplay, which is, you know, the unique th thing about Might and Magic, is that it's fun, but I think it's probably overrated because I think that it ultimately, as you suggested, ends up becoming very repetitive. Yep. Ultimately, how fun is it kicking someone off a cliff the 54th time you've done it? How fun is it, you know, throwing a barrel at someone the... 50th time you've done it this uh this game runs in the source engine and um obviously the big inspiration here is uh, is the gravity gun from half-life 2 mm. and the gravity gun was awesome like i loved i loved the gravity gun um back when it first released and i think to this day it's one of the greatest uh and most well-designed guns to exist in a video game ever but if i had an entire game that was just a gravity gun and that that was it I think I'd get over it. And in a lot of ways, Dark Messiah feels like an entire game with the gravity gun. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I uh, Actually, my main criticism of this game is that I think even though it's only 11 hours long, it's probably still slightly too long. Um, I think that there is a place for an entire game made about around this kind of physics interaction. But I think that kind of game either has to be so deep into this physics interaction that you could play it for hours and never see everything um which this game definitely isn't and i think uh, had it been a bit shorter maybe like i don't know six to eight hours i would have found it to be uh, incredibly fun from start to finish but like as you said the 50th time you kick someone off a wall um, nowhere near as fun as the first like 10 times, right? Yeah, so what I would say part of the problem is I think that the fact that enemies hit you so hard that, you know, they will do two-thirds to three-quarters of your health with one hit as you move towards the end game. And I think that because traditional combat does very little damage or, it does, or it's a lot, it takes a lot longer to kill enemies with traditional combat, that you're incentivized towards this instant kill yes. gameplay loop so chip damage isn't strong when you can immediately kill an enemy from full health to zero health if you kick them into spikes or off a ledge yep. or make them slip off a cliff or wh whatever it is you end up doing that and once you've figured that out once you've realized that the entire game is all based around getting instant kills <laughs> yeah it kind of streamlines the gameplay decision making and the way you play it into something a lot more repetitive like what's the point of throwing down an oil jar when you can kick an enemy into a fire and kill them yeah. what's the point of throwing a barrel into someone if you can run to wherever the closest spike wall 
wait for them to come to you and kick them into the spike wall. So once you've figured out how to optimize executing enemies in one hit, I think that the enjoyment of the gameplay drops off dramatically because you stop messing around and you're just trying to, you're just streamlining through the instant kills. Yeah, it's very dependent on the level design too, right? Like uh, those areas where you're up high with lots of ledges either side of you, you're very incentivized to kick. And, you know, if there's fireplaces around you, again, you're incentivized to kick. I think that you can have this system and incentivize different solutions to the enemy problem by doing that with the environment design, by having different ways to kill things, like those environments where there was a bunch of barrels up in, you know, on a on a ledge, and you can, you know, use your sword to chop at the supports and have them come crashing down on enemies, like stuff like that, like kind of mixed it up a little bit. But what I really wanted from this game was for the environment to introduce new things as the game went on. Um, I think that the talent system does that to an extent. If I had had access to every ability from the very beginning of the game, it would have gotten boring a lot faster um, than it had for me, because I guess maybe this wasn't as relevant for you going down just the stealth and archery approach, but for me, getting a new, completely new spell like every hour or so was really engaging, because once you get the new spell, it spices up the gameplay again. And even if, you know, you have access to those kicks, you just want to, you want to experiment, right? Whereas I think if you don't mm. go down the magic road, you don't get that. Yeah, so I guess when I think of like these environmental things, the game that comes to mind is like Divinity Original Sin 2 and how you can, you can combine abilities together, I guess, in interesting ways. Whereas I'm not sure this game, this game didn't really feel like you were combining abilities together in different ways as much as you were using one ability per enemy killed and there was a variety there but it never was about combining things and kind of escalating the complexity it kind of just you know you just ran out of elements like and once there was a little bit of that like um i found myself using telekinesis to grab barrels and then dip them in flames before throwing them at people the same with you know the first couple of times i was using arrows i noticed that you could you know dip your arrow into fire and then shoot them at people um okay that's, that's a bit more complex than what I was doing. Yeah, because I was setting up little traps. Like, you make little fireplaces, and then you can put a frost patch in front of them and have everyone trip into the fire, which is basically a guaranteed kill, because once something's on fire, it just burns to death within a few seconds. Um, so, you know, I think I think that you had a reduced experience because of the basically because of the build you did. Um, I think playing this game as a magic user... I, you know, was able to do some, uh, it's not nothing crazy, right? But I was able to mix it up quite a bit um, throughout the gameplay. Whereas from what it sounds like from you, you were just doing the same thing in the shadows over and over. Yeah. And I mean, did you play around with the combat system much? Because by the end of the game, I had the combat tree pretty filled out as well. Uh, I put three points into the first combat thing and that was it. So the what I did was I... So I got a bunch of utility spells. I got um, Fireball, Heal, Telekinesis, um, and then I dumped all my points into extra mana and mana regeneration. And I was quite weak for that period of the game when I was trying to get to mana regeneration, which was um, near the end of the Spider Temple 
and near the like uh in the catacomb bit under the spider temple mm -hmm. so i was really weak in that section and i was basically relying on um tripping people up with frost and you know uh coup de gras them on the ground but once i got mana regeneration i was basically immortal because uh i don't know if you put points into heal at all but you just press the button and your health goes up by like a quarter um and you can mash it there's no cooldown so you just have like infinite health basically um with i didn't bother generation yeah <laughs> I, it, well the thing was because you die in two hits if i died i died but you know most of the time i would you know just re reload until i took no damage yeah, i did a re lot of reloading too took, um, took a bit of damage and then used four health potions or whatever yeah later in the game i got access to this spell called sanctuary which makes you immune to physical damage and you reflect all projectiles. Um, that seems good. It's fucking busted, yeah. Once I got that spell, I don't think I died again. Um, it was nuts. It was great. <laughs> so I just want to take a moment to talk about the, I guess, the baseline combat. Like, obviously, kicking and physics manipulation ends up being the primary part of the game, but there is still a melee combat thing in first person that you yep. do have. Uh, so the closest to it, you would think of it as a probably a more advanced Skyrim combat. I've yep. played a few of these games. So the first one I played was a Half-Life mod called uh, Pirates, Vikings, and what was it? It was PV, Pirates, Vikings, Barbarians, I think it was. Something like that, which was an old Half-Life mod, which had a lot of melee combat. Then after that, I played a fair bit of a game called Chivalry, Medieval Warfare which also has a first-person melee thing. I wanted to talk about those games because I think first-person melee games are just kind of not very good. Yeah, I don't like them either. Like, they're fine. And I think that people people hold up the melee combat of this game pretty high, like saying it's a lot of fun and everything. But really, it's incredibly simple. I think what they're talking about is the physics, right? I mean, yeah, but but this is all part and parcel of it. Like the melee uh, combat in this game's pretty bad, honestly. Like I found blocking to be extremely inconsistent. Um, enemies would inconsistently stagger depending on what attacks I was doing. Uh, I I really didn't like it and avoided as much as I could. So basically, enemies do power attacks that go through parries but don't go through shields, which could maybe explain some of the inconsistency. Um, the basic back and forth is that you get a parry off, which gives you a window to do damage to the enemy, and it just goes back and forth like that. Uh, there are several different power attacks you can do depending on what direction key you're holding. But honestly, it doesn't seem to make much difference which one you're doing. It's just the direction you're attacking from. They all seem to do similar damage. Yeah, I just tried to avoid it where I could. Like, um, when an enemy has been knocked over on the ground, if you do a power attack um, with your cursor on top of them, it goes into this, like, scripted animation where you coup de gras them and do a massive amount of damage. For most enemies in the first half of the game, that's enough to kill them straight out, but, uh, later in the game you need to get maybe three off and some of the, the tankier enemies to get the kill. 
Um, I basically just tried to trip people over and then stab them. Fuck, uh, fuck slashing at them with the weak-ass sword, but I guess I didn't put any points into it. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing was, because early on I put all my points into stealth, I also was utterly useless in melee combat. <laughs> but by towards the end of the game, it was a reasonable choice for me with, you know, maximum strength and everything that I could actually batter enemies around if I wanted. And it's just, it's just kind of not very good. I was trying to figure out why it is that first person, you know, sword games are not fun, whereas third person sword games like Dark Souls, for example, are excellent and not just excellent, they're superb. Or, you know, a game like Fury feels really good to play. And the best way I could understand it is it's all about field of view. In first person, you can only really concentrate on one enemy at once. You can't see very much, and you're very limited in terms of how you move. Like, because you always need to be facing the enemy, you're always backing up with S and W instead mm. of moving around the enemy if, if like you can in a third-person game. I actually thought that something that made the combat a bit better was that you actually walk backwards really slowly compared to how you walk forward. So it's a lot harder to kite enemies. You actually need to fully turn around and sprint away rather than just, you know, sliding backwards as much as you can trip kicking people as they come near you. But does that make it better? Yeah, I do think it makes it a bit better tactically. I think that if you could fully go... Like, if you could move backwards as fast as possible, then you could just, uh, you know, swipe people out of range over and over. I don't think that would make it better. So basically, I actually don't think it makes a difference if you're competent enough at moving around. Because having your back exposed doesn't actually give you any sort of downside it just gives you i guess less time to to like make decisions but you have exactly the same mobility you can just turn around and sprint and then immediately turn around again right it doesn't actually affect you except it makes the whole experience feel a lot clunkier and i think that Yes, it's there for a reason, but I think it leads to a less fun experience when your movement isn't as free. It's a big reason why like a game like Quake, which has like really good and fluid movement or, you know, more recently Dusk feels great. It feels great to slide around in any direction at any speed. And my take is fuck these attempts to create balance. Like I just prefer to have the smoother movement. Yeah, I disagree. I think it'd be really weird in this game. Uh, I felt it added a lot to the combat, honestly. Okay, but consider consider like a third-person game like Dark Souls, right? Can you imagine that game where if instead of, you know, holding back on the control stick, if in, you, you, ha you had to be, I guess, locked onto the enemy at all times, and if you were... So you're forced into being locked onto the enemy, and when but you hold down back... That's a completely different game. I don't think it's a fair comparison. Well, it, it is... Listen, it's, it is a different game. It's a third-person game, but I'm trying to explain why these first-person brawlers don't feel good, and I think that this slow backwards move speed is part of it. In these third-person brawlers, your movement is so much more fluid. And I think that that's a large part of why they're a lot more enjoyable. 
Um, I actually think it has more to do with the animations than that. For example, in Souls, like, if you do a big hit, your character, like, swings their weapon and then they have a bit of a delay. If you had that kind of delay in a first-person game, it would feel really unnatural. What tends to end up happening is you get these systems where you can just left-click, 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 and, like, swing wildly, because that's what feels best to control. And because of that, uh, enemies can't have, you know like proper stagger when they get hit with slow attacks it just it doesn't work i i think it's all in the animation and the way that enemies react to your hit um and i just don't like it in first person well i mean i i think that the animations and your ability to read enemy animations is a part of it but i i don't know how you can dismiss the free-flowing movement of third person games out of hand like, the fact of the matter is the control you have over your character in a third-person brawler is so much better than in first-person. I disagree. I didn't notice it. Like you said, you can just spin around and run. Okay, all right. Let, let me make this clearer to you. Imagine in Dark Souls, if you were locked onto an enemy, because you've got to be facing them in first-person, if you press back on the control stick, if you could only take a step or two slowly back at the time with no roll, because that's what this game is like the the freedom of movement is way less and i think you have a a you have a turn rate in dark souls right you don't in this you just move the mouse and you're instantly turned around so it's not a problem yeah but you need to move your mouse around before you can move whereas in dark souls you can immediately i think we're going off on a tangent basically i don't i don't like first person combat games and neither do you right well yes but i'm just trying to get to the bottom of why and and that's that's what i'm trying to get at here um because Honest, I'm, I'm just trying to think, like, at the end of the day, what's the difference between... I feel like I feel like I have more control over my movement in this game than I do Souls. Well, I would feel that way if I wasn't backing up very slowly. I think that's the, that's the difference. Right, but, um, like, other games don't have that, and you feel the same about those games. So it's obviously not the backwalking, right? When I play Quake and I have perfect move speed in every direction, it it, it feels fine. So I, I think that it's specifically. But yeah, we're we're both in agreement. You're right. The the fact is the first person combat in this game is mediocre. I wouldn't say it's broken in the same way that stealth is. It's just unsatisfying. And yeah, at the end of the day, you end up doing the environmental interaction a lot more. The kicks make this game fun, basically, and the environmental actions do as well. Um, something funny I noticed with the kicks, I think it's pretty obvious if you play for more than a few hours, um, is that if you kick an enemy normally, they only, like, stagger back a couple inches or so. But if the game detects that there's, like, a pit behind them or a set of spikes mm. behind them, they'll just go flying into them. It's really bizarre. Yeah, it, like, grabs them. Yeah, it, like, sucks them in. And I didn't quite, like, uh, have a handle on that to begin with, which I think was... Because I just assumed... Because the very first enemy that you kick in the game, um, the tutorial tells you to do, and they're standing in front of a pit, so they go flying. So in, like, the first hour, I kept finding myself trying to, like, kick enemies to send them flying, but nothing happened. Mm. Um, it was really bizarre, but I think once I once I figured that out, the game kind of opened up to me. Yeah, I figured that out immediately. It was just immediately obvious with where you kick them, they don't go anywhere, but when they're near the spikes, it just grabs them. But once again, that just re-incentivizes this insta-kill gameplay thing. It's not difficult to kick enemies into spikes. You just kick them anywhere near 
and they'll be grabbed at from any angle. You can even almost kick them sideways into spikes and it will still find a way to grab them and instantly impale them and you get that insta-kill. Yeah, I um I think the game would have hand like been better if spikes could only impale one enemy and then you had to like you know move around the arena and trying to find a different way to kill the next ones like you couldn't just line enemies up at the same cliff and just do the same thing like eight times in mm. a row and then move on to the next arena i think uh i think that's a big misstep here i think that the game needs to encourage experimentation more maybe with longer cooldowns of spells um you know maybe you need to put more points into because like i didn't put any points into strength and i can kick this fucking gigantic orc halfway across the planet um it makes no sense i felt like you yeah. needed to invest in the ability to do those kicking so often but for the first like five or six hours of this game i was having a blast right like I, I i didn't mind that it wasn't super hard i just found it really fun to mess around with the spells and to kick enemies off and just you know cheese the ever-loving fuck out of them it was super fun for me to begin with and i'd say that probably the thing that carried this game's fun factor for me throughout most of the the experience was this physics-based combat i just really liked it to, to begin with but it you know it did wear it out its welcome near the end so i'm a lot less high on it than you are um I still had fun with it, but I think five to six hours is astoundingly generous. I think within two hours, I'd seen everything that there was to see. And I think that, yes, kicking enemies on spikes and off cliffs is fun for a little bit. But honestly, by the 10th time you've done it, like you're done. Like, oh, I can cut down this rope, which collapses these barrels on people. Like, I've played Half-Life 2. I know how these physics systems work. So I got over it a lot more quickly. That being said, it was still a little bit of fun to continue doing. I, <laughs> I can't deny that, you know, this physics-based messing around, there's something that's intrinsically appealing about it. But it wasn't like, oh, boy, this is awesome, like with Katamari, where the novelty, I think, carried through the entire game. I think I was just, like, tolerating it at that stage. So... The physics in this game are fun, but don't let people overstate how good they are uh, because people are mad about their game. They think that this is like the most fun melee game ever. That is not the case. I think, this this is, uh, I think this is the most fun first-person melee game I've ever played by like a long shot. I, I haven't played an endless number, but I just think that basically after a few hours, the tech demo has done its duty and everything after that is fairly redundant. So, I mean, no, yeah, like saying, saying again, like what helped me last six hours wasn't the, just the kick it was you know being drip fed new new mage abilities so i think uh, i think how much fun you're gonna have with this game is strongly reliant on what kind of character you play and i would uh, highly recommend to uh, dabble in magic i do take exception to that i don't think these mage abilities suddenly unlock an incredibly different game they let you do a, a few things more creatively but it's at the end of the day it's still just messing around with the same physics system I'm not discounting that you enjoyed it. I'm just saying for me, 
this stuff just isn't nearly as fun as for me as it was for you. Yeah, so I'm not saying that each one of these is incredibly deep, right? Like you, you know, it's only fun for a short amount of time, but these short amounts of time are spread over the six hours, like you don't get them all at once. So it's like, you know, you have your fun with the kicking and then it gets boring and then you have your fun with the ice power and then it gets boring and they kind of chain together to keep your enjoyment engaged over the course of the game, if that makes sense. Um, just one more quick thing before we go to our first music break, as we've been going for a while. I actually really liked the way that this game handed out its ability points, um, and it did so not based on, you know, the way you fought in combat. It gave you ability points um, throughout the story at set points, um, and for doing, you know, uh, extraneous tasks that you found throughout the world. And I really liked that, um, because it made... Uh, I think it made the the progression feel really good. Um, you know, if you ran past a bunch of enemies with stealth or something, you weren't punished, and you weren't forced to you know needlessly engage with the combat when you didn't want to. You know what I mean? I agree. Um, if you've played the new Deus Ex games, one of the problems with those games is that there was a specific style of play, which was stealth ghosting, that was the optimal way to play because it gave you the most skill points. So I do prefer it when games don't try and force you to play a particular way. Um, if you're going to have a game with skill points, it's far better to tie it into story progression than anything else. Yeah. So with that out of the way, let's move on to our first music break. Patrick, what did you think about the, uh, the soundtrack in this game? So overall with this soundtrack, it was a fairly resounding meh. I think the music's solid. It's orchestral stuff with some choir vocals you know, some horns and trumpets and violins, but it didn't really stir my loins as it was. I was never like, wow, what great music. Uh, the track I've selected is the inventively named Soundtrack 7, which is the <laughs> track that plays early on in the game as, um, as a cyclops begins attacking the city. Uh, the only reason I selected it because it was one of the only ones soundtracks that I remembered because it's a fairly... Uh, adrenaline-filled scene as you're fleeing from a cyclops. On the whole, I'm very whatever about the music. It's not very memorable. It's fine. But here is Soundtrack 7. That was the brilliantly named soundtrack number seven, and I swear to God, I did try to find the real name of this piece, but uh, I think it might actually just be called soundtrack number seven. Um, I'm a bit higher on the music than you. Uh, like you, it kind of all blended together for me throughout the experience, but I don't necessarily mind that if it's going for this really like soundtracky uh, mood setting thing, you know. 
Um, it was very orchestral, and unlike a lot of the other kind of like darker, stealthy games that we've been playing recently, this one wasn't necessarily like a creeping soundtrack. I found it got uh, very, very grandiose and bombastic at points throughout the game, and I thought that, you know, matched the tone of the story and, you know, the, the dark theming of the world quite well. Like when you're in these gigantic necromancer crypts, you know, that go up and down for miles into darkness and uh you know you've got these br the brass and the violins just kicking into overdrive it was really good at a number of points in the soundtrack i wouldn't say it's a great soundtrack but uh you know definitely on the positive end of the spectrum for me i would say that perhaps the problem is that i was utterly uninvested in the story and for me music a lot of the time needs to underpin the story and so because I was so bored and not paying attention and not caring about the story, I wasn't sure what uh, what point that the music was meant to underwrite. But uh, yeah, it certainly faded into the background for me. Did you want to get into the story then, Patrick? Um, I, Let's do it. Yeah, spoilers. I also was not super invested in it, and I don't think that the story was particularly compelling throughout the game um but uh you know take us away how did you feel well let's let's explain it a bit so as i alluded to um you meet up with another wizard menleg after acquiring this magic crystal and you're meant to go find the skull of shadows to beat the evil necromancers but then surprise surprise the evil necromancers attack menleg and kill him so you and his niece have to go off alone to try and get the skull of shadows um, you go on your adventure to try and find it and you start having these weird visions of uh, evil things and the uh, the woman that's inside you called Xanax? Is Zana? That her name? No, her name's Zana. Basically, um, your wizard mentor at the beginning of the game uh, put Cortana in your head <laughs> and she uh, narr narr narrates everything that you do throughout the game. And, you know, as the story progresses, and um, we're going to go sp full spoilers here, so if you want to play without that, go ahead first. Um, throughout the course of the game, it turns out that she's not this, uh, not so much of a helpful spirit that you, well, she's still helpful, but she's not this, uh, this friendly entity of, you know, protection that you were led to believe, but rather actually like a succubus demon that's been inserted into your body. Into your soul. Uh, by your, uh, into your soul, by your, um, you find out kind of nefarious mentor. Okay, and, you know, as the game goes on, your powers start unlocking, you become more demon-like. There's a point where you die and you come back to life and you're even more demon-like. And you eventually have to decide, shall I doom the world to chaos and destruction or should I save it? You know, typical RPG, <laughs> nice uh, shades of grey there. Yeah, the way the way the game sets it up is like you're, you know, you're just this mage's apprentice, and um, you know, there's a, you know, an external threat to the world in the form of these demons, and you know, I guess the kind of like the plot twist, as it were, it's not very, it's not exactly hidden, is that you are like basically the antichrist or whatever you are the dark messiah that is going to usher in the age of darkness and despair bringing back the great demon lord who will you know cast his um cast eternal damnation on the humans for their uh, locking him away uh you know of course they did he's a demon right yeah so i guess the way it kind of sets up the story is that you are trying to get the Skull of Shadows before the Necromancers do because you believe that the Necromancers are going to try and, you know, destroy the world with it when actually 
what ends up happening is that the leader of the necromancer who's been kind of built up to be this big scary terrifying guy by his underlings throughout the game um is actually trying to trying to stop the uh the return of the demon king so he wasn't as uh he wasn't as evil as um he began with although i wouldn't say he's necessarily a a, a virtuous character absolutely not are you kidding <laughs> he is 100 percent evil it's just different shades listen james i got a lot is of- he though i don't think so all right let let me let me get to this but but first up i've got I, w- I want to go through my problems with this story in order and the first one is one that doesn't make any sense to me at all why was your wizard mentor raising you and pretending to raise you like a good guy instead of indoctrinating you into becoming the dark messiah um because it's a good plot twist for a video game <laughs> <laughs> like narratively it makes zero sense i agree I, d- I don't understand so what he does is he raises you like a normal good boy you're just you're just a normal person you're on the good path and then you kind of start getting these visions that in reality he's saying mean things to you and he's preparing you for evil things but the problem is if you've been raised your entire life to be a good person and then someone says surprise you're actually the antichrist and your job is to bring death and ruin (laughs) don't you think that person would be like huh i don't think i'll do that because i think i'm a good person because you've been raising me as a good person for the past 17 years right what's even weirder to me is that um you get sent very early on to this second wizard apprentice um who you know with his help you're going to retrieve the skull of shadows this you know evil MacGuffin that will grant terrible power and right at the start when you're talking with him he's like i know why you were sent here don't worry just don't involve my daughter i don't think the second wizard was as evil um but he's just like helping you to destroy the world i really didn't understand that yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. So if you're going to raise a dark messiah, you should be indoctrinating them from childhood to rise to become to this position of the dark messiah. And that's what would make sense. It, it just felt like they wanted to put a plot twist in here for no fucking reason because they wanted you to not be evil. And that leads into my number one criticism of this story. You are barely evil in this game called Dark Messiah. Barely evil. <laughs> the the people you are opposing this entire game are super evil necromancers, not the good guys. And if you basically didn't include the Dark Messiah bit and just made that as like an optional choice to take power for yourself at the end of the game, literally nothing would change. You could just be a good character this entire game. I disagree with this criticism because the game actually has multiple paths and multiple endings through the game and you actually, as a character, get to choose what you do. Like, uh, if you if you agree with Patrick and you think this character, you know, isn't evil at all, then you can go the good route. You can, you know, uh, get rid of the demon inside your head. You can save the save the kind mage girl, and you can destroy your father, the demon king, and save the entire world. You can absolutely do that. That's a that's a superficial end of the game choice. The fact of the matter is, for ninety percent of your playtime, the things you're killing are orcs and goblins and evil necromancers and evil soldiers that talk about how they want to wet their blades on civilians' blood. That's who you're fighting in this game, evil people. You're not fighting good people. It's not. You're not much of a dark messiah when you're killing evil people. 
Yeah, but you're thinking about it too black and white, Patrick. This isn't a, the evil demons and the evil necromancers against the good humans. This is a three-way death match between the three factions, right? So either way, if you're leaning towards the good human side or the evil demon side, you're still going to be opposed against these evil necromancers, just not necessarily because they're evil, right? Yeah, but then, like, why are you even the Dark Messiah? You're just another, you're just another chump. What do you mean? Why are you the Dark Messiah? You're the Dark Messiah because you're the son of the Demon King and nothing can change that. Yeah, but it's uninteresting when your enemies are just as evil as you are. Uh, if if you're here's the thing, if you want to posit someone as being evil, having them do evil actions is a very important part of being evil. And throughout the course of this game, you do basically nothing which could be constituted as evil. You're just killing evil people and killing evil orcs and evil What do you mean? Goblins. I did plenty of evil things. I let that character die because there was a spider there and I didn't want to go into the spider's nest. That, there's not, that is not an evil thing. How is that even remotely evil? How is, how is leaving somebody to die when you could easily save them not evil? Oh, easily save them. There's a fucking giant spider and you think that constitutes easily saving them. Are you joking? It's a video game, right? That is not evil. That's the, that's that's a piss-weak definition of evil. You know what evil is? Arthas, Warcraft 3 Undead Campaign. He assassinates his father, then he comes back to the human lands and spreads a scourge. He uh, turns the Night Elves into... Uh, into liches and destroys that citadel with the pure goal of serving the lich king to bring a wave of demons to destroy all humanity and along the way every step along the way you're doing incredibly evil things that is evil fighting against other evil necromancers is piss weak evil it's oh but we don't want to have you doing actual evil things so we're going to posit your enemies as being basically just as bad as you are even the very final thing you do, and Sarah says this, regardless of whether you are of whether you have committed to the evil path or not, he says, Oh my god, the necromancers are gonna kill thousands of people in the city. We have to stop them. That isn't a thing an evil person would say. Okay, so basically you're saying that like one of the routes doesn't make sense. No, no, no. That is something he says regardless of what fucking route you're on. Yeah, yeah. So if you're on the good route, that makes sense, right? Yes, it does. But it doesn't make sense if you're on the dark route. Yeah, you're criticizing the evil route, right? Well, I'm saying that if the game is trying to present both as legitimate options, it has completely failed to do so. It basically posits you as a good character. In, in, in essence, in function, you are locked into being a good character despite supposedly being the Dark Messiah until the very last 5% of the game. Okay, so I think that power can corrupt people pretty bad, right? Like... You know, this character might be good for 90% of the game, but he is offered the ability to rule over the entire world. Um, you tell me that there is not a single good person in the world that would switch for that opportunity. I think good and evil are interesting when there's shades of grey that gradually get pushed as the game unfolds. The way this game is presented... But do you think that's, un no, do you think that's unrealistic? Do you think it's unrealistic... For a good person offered the chance to rule the entire world at you know i'm not disputing that i'm saying that's uninteresting storytelling it's uninteresting storytelling if the character is honestly if you've decided from stage one on day one like at hour one 
I'm going to be the Dark Messiah and go the evil route. At hour nine, right before the game finishes, you shouldn't be saying, oh, no, the necromancers are playing to kill thousands of people. This really bothers me. I need to go save them. But that is what Sarah says regardless of what you want to do because at that stage he's still locked in as the good character. That to me is unacceptable. You are barely a Dark Messiah and you're only the Dark Messiah at the 11th hour. I think a game called Dark Messiah of Might and Magic, you should be given the option to be fucking evil. Okay. I think that there's four endings to this game and basically only one of them, one of the four is this problematic ending that you're talking about. That's the one where basically the one where you choose to free your father the demon king and have him rule over all of humanity um is the truly evil route the one i picked was the one to lock him away again um but keep the power for myself because i think that ending leaves it a bit vague as to whether you're going to be um you know an oppressive ruler like your father or not i don't think it uh, kind of locks you in that way and I think it makes a lot more, I think that ending makes a lot more sense than the one you're criticizing. I think you're getting too hung up on the last 10, rush 10 minutes of story. I think that when we look at the strength of the story, we should be looking at it substantively, like as a whole. And I think that the inability to do anything evil and the positing of all of your enemies as evil is, a, is problematic. And I think it would be a lot more interesting if you could actually do evil things in a game called Dark Messiah. I basically agree. Like, I, I, like I'm defending it, but I don't want to give off the wrong impression. I think the story's weak as a whole, um, but I, I think you're overemphasizing how much of a problem it seems to be. Well, for me, it was a huge problem. All right, so basically, what, what choices did you make at the end of the day? Well, I ended up going good because I read that you could get more powerful weapons because I right. didn't give a shit about the story at all, because I thought it was stupid. Yeah, because there's objectively um, there's objectively one correct choice for the ending, um, and that's yes. to let the stupid mage die in the pit of spiders, because fuck going to that pit of spiders, um, and then <laughs> ruling the world with your hot demon wife for all eternity. Obviously the correct decision there, Patrick. Well, she, she was also just... Liana was just the worst character. She was whiny so and annoying and pushing. Yeah. I hated her. Yeah. And whereas um, Zana was pushy as well, but she actually had a bit of humor and wit to her. And uh, yeah, far, far better character. So Obviously. if I was picking it for story reasons, I would have gone that way as well. Um, one minor final criticism of the story I have. I think Sarath is kind of a blockhead. He's boring as shit too. He well, he's only ever immediately concerned with the task right in front of him. And yeah. he gives no thought to any kind of long-term decision making. He has no agency and it's always either Zanra or Liana telling him what to do and him following orders. He's not a very interesting or inspiring character. He's dumb and boring and monotone. I mean, you can have characters like I think of Commander Shepard from Mass Effect that are fairly, you know, not like super interesting, but still are like capable leaders and problem solvers and managing their teams and getting, you know, like getting the job done. Yeah. So I, I don't want to say like every single character that doesn't have, you know, stupid quirks is is a bad character, but Sarath just has no charisma or personality whatsoever. Yeah, he sucks. He's like a self-insert, but not, and it doesn't work very well. I um, I think Zahn is the like most entertaining Highlight. character. 
to listen to. Yeah, yeah. And everyone else basically sucks, right? Yeah. I didn't I didn't I didn't hate Aaron here, I guess. Like he like he's an evil character, but honestly, what he's trying to do, which is save the world from the demons, even though, you know, his methods are fucking evil, there's some there's some good there, right? Like some no. small glimmer. No, not at all. No, there's not. You, you know what you know what he could do, James? Instead of deciding to sacrifice thousands of people to close the portal, he could open diplomatic negotiations with someone else and figure out a way to do it without sacrificing thousands of people. Diplomatic negotiations I mean, with the yes. demons. Are no, you not with me? the demons, with the fucking humans, with the people. He's literally launching attacks with ghouls. Did you see his workshops that were filled with half with human corpses with their legs cut off, but they were still being kept alive with necromancy? Yeah. <laughs> the guy is fucked. I, I don't know why you're a necromancer apologist. What do you mean? <laughs> Maybe it's just because I liked playing, playing Necropolis and Heroes I mean, 3 a lot. <laughs> I love Necropolis. I always play those factions. But, I mean, I think that he's as evil as evil comes. And this whole, you know, you demons just want death and destruction, whereas I just want to kill everyone and reanimate them. I'm not really seeing the distinction here, particularly when he plans an attack on a city with a fucking cyclops to kill thousands of civilians. I think they're fairly equal. He's got his journals throughout the um, the game, and he believes that death is just a threshold that people need to stop putting so much um, emphasis on. You know, he yeah. just that's he what just the, wants everybody to. Uh... I'm sure <laughs> yeah. if he was a zombie, he'd have a different opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if everyone was dead, no one would be afraid of death anymore, Patrick. Yeah, Isn't great, that just, great, you know, yeah, great, the most great noble point, goal? James. Great fucking point, yeah. You, you know what? You've convinced me. I've convinced <laughs> I guess, you. I, right. I, I guess everything he was doing in that fucking citadel is completely... Yeah, I, I do not think the necromancer has any moral standing whatsoever. He believes that what he's doing is better but he's fucking just as evil as the demons. I think they're equally evil. I would be perfectly happy for him to stop the demons, if I'm being perfectly honest, but uh, yeah, Aaron Tyr is pretty fucking evil. So... Do you want to talk about secrets? Secrets? Yeah, let's get on to secrets. Um, so uh, I, don't, uh, I don't hide this at all. I fucking love finding secrets in games, and I think for the first... Uh, couple of hours i was enthralled with the secret finding mm -hmm. that this game had to offer uh one of the abilities you get early on is this ability to stand still and for weird secrets to be highlighted in blue and i found all sorts of trap doors and push blocks and you know weird statues to levitate and put mm -hmm. onto pedestals um because of this secret finding ability and you know earlier on in the first city there are all sorts of weird spots you could shoot your you know, rope arrows or clamber up to in order to get in. But honestly, the secret finding in this game dropped off a cliff for me once I realized that, you know, I spent ages trying to find this secret in this town and I found this cool, you know, fire sword. And then 10 minutes later, I found the same fire sword just sitting on a bench somewhere. Like mm -hmm. every single secret I found in the game, I just found normally in the game world, you know, these games, you know, this kind of secret finding works so much better when the secrets are unique and there's no other way to get them in the entire game. Like uh, if I put points into lockpicking and I found this cool sword in a chest, it's really 
really frustrating to find that same thing, you know, for free a bit later on. It really, really fucking annoyed me um, throughout the game. And, you know, half the secrets are just health and mana pots, and by the time I was into the end game, my mana and health were both regenerating fast enough that I was, you know, throwing away my health and mana pots. So, you know, towards the start of the game, really fun, and then near the end I just stopped bothering. I'm slightly less annoyed than you by the uniqueness. I don't mind a secret, you know, being a thing that gives me early access to loot, as long as it's significantly early like if you gain it a couple of hours before you can normally get it i think that's fine my real problem with the secrets was that by about i'd say literally like a third to halfway through the game everything i found after that point was duplicate copies i enjoyed the process of secret hunting particularly the um the rope arrow methods of getting to stupid places but the number of pairs of lightning daggers I would have had by the yes. end of the game. I would have had like fucking 10 pairs of them. And there's no way to sell stuff either, right? Yeah. If you pick up a duplicate, it just destroys the item. It doesn't even go into your inventory. Yeah, it just disappears. It just disappears. It makes no fucking sense. It was so frustrating. If this game had more equipment and more shit to find, the secret finding would be probably some of the best um you know among games that i've played but because the rewards are so underwhelming later on it just fizzles out yeah and at the end the game even gives up like it stops trying to give you items it just gives you mana and health potions yep. it just stops it's like well i mean we've already given you the same item six <laughs> times so we're not going to bother giving it to you the seventh time here are just some mana and health potions so that's when we should get the best secrets yeah like i said i think this game's a few hours too long and i think uh both the talent system and the item system are a victim of the length of the game i think uh eight hours would have been basically perfect for this game and um you know it just dragged on quite a lot but like overall the secrets were really well hidden like there's a huge variety mm -hmm. in the times you can find like uh i find i reckon that you missed a heap of them because you didn't put points into levitation right i had telekinesis oh you did no, you no, did that one, okay. it only, it, yeah it was like it was like one point i put a couple of points into magic early on but then i i stopped so i had a, i found all the telekinesis secrets i think at least my favorite ones were the ones that were really not obvious and that you had to do a bunch of janky platforming to get to, though I do say I had to mm -hmm. reload my save so many times because I'd like, I'd jump into this spot where the game thought was falling, but my character, so I get stuck in the falling animation indefinitely and then would just like have to reload my save because I was stuck in this corner. Shall we go on to our bugs discussion? Yes, this is the best part of the. This is the best part of the episode. So, like you, I had those problems with the rope arrows all the fucking time, particularly the when the rope arrows are the buggiest piece of shit ever. Like you shoot the arrow into the sky, and then They're the rope so like spazzes out left and right and all over the place. And if you if you're an idiot and don't wait for the rope, if you're an idiot, like obviously you should wait for the rope to settle. Mm -hmm. If you don't. Oftentimes you'll be clinging onto this rope and it'll like fling you outside of the bounds of the map. Like I fell out of the map yep. so many times. And then you just Yeah, and then you just have to uh reload your save. Yep. It was uh it was a fucking mess. Because because when the rope is um is uncoiling, it's got no collision. 
So you can just you can just yeah go straight through the walls and just get out of the map that way. And then, like James said, if you get on the rope, if you try and like get off the rope in between the rope and a building, it'll often just have you floating in midair and you're just completely stuck. And there's literally nothing you can do. You can't jump back on the rope. You're just stuck. Uh, you can also get caught between two ropes in that in that fashion. So it's not just the wall and the rope it's also two sets of ropes yeah that happened to me all the time like because you you put a rope and a low point and then a rope on a higher point and then you try to like jump from one rope to the the other rope to you know get a bit a bit of vertical distance that you couldn't otherwise and many times i got stuck in this loop where if i jumped off one of the ropes it would immediately put me on the other one and then i'd have to reload my save because i was in rope health <laughs> Yeah, whenever you are going to shoot rope arrows, you always quick save first. Yes, yes. I learned that very quickly. All right, next bug. Um, I had this one that I thought had bricked my save, and I would have to play the first five hours of the game again. Jesus Christ, what did you do? I spent like an hour trying to fix it. So early on in the game, there is this boat level. Um, and you go through the boat and you clear out all the enemies and then you get to the deck of the boat and you have to lower the gangplank so that your party member can, you know, climb up onto the boat. And your party member is, you know, off a while away hiding in this room. Um, what was happening for me was that every time I lowered the gangplank, um, it would instantly game over and say that my NPC companion hated me and that I failed the mission, and I couldn't figure out why. Um, like, every single time I lowered the gangplank, the game said, she hates you, you lose. Um, and I spent about a full hour trying to figure out why the fuck it was doing that. I thought maybe I hadn't cleared out all the enemies um, and that she was angry at me because I hadn't done that and protected her or something. Uh, I ran around the entire... I did the level three times from start to finish, oh basically, God. from my save right at the beginning. And I was like, holy fuck, I'm going to have to start this whole game again because I only have one save on this level. And every time I go from it... It breaks. It breaks, yeah. So I looked it up online and I couldn't find anything. So I spent ages. I did everything. I killed every enemy ten times over. I didn't unleash the goblins in the hold because I thought maybe she hated me because of that. Uh, I, I tried everything, right? Eventually I fucking figured it out. And I'm so fucking angry about this. Okay. So at the start of the level, you're with her in the sewers... And she uses telekinesis to move this big, like, boulder or big box um, for you to go through. And then she closes the box. She moves the box back into position, mm -hmm. right? And then you're in this room on the other side of where she is. And there's this little box. And, you know, because I was just running through. I pulled out telekinesis. I picked up the box and I threw it against the wall and it bounced around the room. Turns out that little box... Um, ended up behind the big box so that whenever she tried to open the box to come to the ship, it would bug out and kill her. <laughs> so in order to fix it, I just had to pick up the little box and move it, and then it worked. <laughs> yeah. I had... And my save file was just after I'd moved the little box. The physics, physical properties of games, of objects in this game are fucked. Like... I have dropped multiple <laughs> objects and they just start bouncing around the room. This is like tables. They just literally keep, yeah. it's like they're on a trampoline. They'll bounce around the room, spazzing out. <laughs> Typical source engine. 
Also, James, you should know that because it's a Source Engine game, you can just bring up the developer console and load a map. Like, I hope you didn't weren't actually thinking of starting from scratch when you could have just loaded the next map. I tried to look that up and couldn't find out how uh, to do it. Like, I looked up cheats and everything yeah, so and you, didn't see anything. So I was, I was desperate to not start again, right? I've played so much Counter-Strike that it's all in the same engine. So it's SV underscore cheats one, and then you go MP underscore, and then the map name, and it just will immediately load it up. Although I don't actually know how that works with like the preservation of your character, so maybe it's not as simple as I'm making it. But provided you were in your game, it probably would have maintained your character in between maps, but I don't don't really know. The point is, next time you get an issue with that, consult me first. Don't just (laughs) think about restarting the game. All right, my turn. Um, so the boring one is that um, on two separate occasions, I had pedestals not working where you meant to insert items. Like yep. just literally didn't work. Like you, you, nothing you can do, it's just <laughs> bugged out. So I had to restart the level on both occasions because it was just bugged out. Both times I lost about five, five, ten minutes. So it wasn't, but I was pretty pissed off at the time. All right, my turn. Okay, okay. so oftentimes with the melee combat, you'd swing your sword. And then your sword would get stuck in the animation and you wouldn't be able to change your weapon or do another attack or, you know, do anything and you'd have to reload your save. Uh, it would uh, just get stuck halfway yeah, through the Yeah, that never swing. happened to me. Yeah, it happened to me a lot, um, basically, at the start. And then from then on, I was like, fuck it, I'm using spells. And then the big fireball you spell you get near the end of the tree has, like, I don't know, like a six-second wind-up of him, like, you know, moving his hands around in a circle to make mm. this big fireball, and sometimes it would just get stuck and not do anything. Um, so that was really fucking frustrating. Your turn. Okay, this was the um, this was the big one, because this was the one where I was completely stuck. There's a section near the end of the game where um, there's a Cyclops, and you've got a friend with you, and you need to... You're given an option. You can, like, give him an alternate route or you can kill the Cyclops or whatever. This took me six separate attempts to get working. And over the course of it, he got stuck in scenery or he... Because he needs to open the door for you to open the next level. And at one point, he was literally stuck in the roof. Like, he was just sitting in the roof, clipped into the roof. I don't even know how that was possible. (laughs) He was just clipped up in the roof. And then the other times, he was, like, bugged out at the beginning of the level. At one point, he just ran to a random corner and was just cowering in it after I'd already killed the Cyclops. So that section was by far the most frustrating because the scripting was fucked because the scripting required him to open the door for you. And if he's not there to open the door for you and following his scripting, then nothing happens. Eventually, I managed to sneak past the Cyclops, which was annoying instead of just killing it. But that was the only way I could actually get the level to progress. Um, That worked first try for me. <laughs> so it sucks yeah, to be you. <laughs> literally six times, yeah. So I, a couple times I jumped up on a barrel to like go, you know, like there was a barrel on my way and I thought it'd be easier to just jump on top of it. And then I jump off the barrel and then the game forgot there was a floor there and I just fell through the map. Uh, on many yeah. occasions or I get stuck in that endless falling animation. This game's buggy as hell. <laughs> I've got one final one. Um, so there was a bit where you had to take this like side path through a, um, you were up on the side of a mountain, right? On these wooden 
Yes. But, and um, there was like a side path through the spiders. But I managed to figure out, and you could kind of jump down to the next area, but it would kill you with fall damage. But I managed to jump in a specific way that it would not kill me, except when I did, and so I could avoid the spiders. But the first time I did it, uh, my character went into the screaming uh, noise of falling, and then he didn't stop. Yes, so it was just screaming. a constant scream of <laughs> like I'm just running around looting objects as he's screaming, and I'm like, man, I really don't want to go into the spiders, but I successfully glitched my way down here. So I spent the rest of the game screaming. Yeah. Oh, eventually it ended when I loaded the next checkpoint, which wasn't too oh, far you just away. Played but I the just whole muted thing the game with that for that screaming? period. Yeah, <laughs> I, just, I just muted it. <laughs> On that section with the cliff, do you have a final one? Not really. Basically, everything in this game was okay. buggy as shit. Um, like the enemies it's were broken, buggy. Yeah, yeah, it's such a broken mess of a game. But um, like oh, half the time these glitches happened, I laughed, and then half the time it was incredibly infuriating. Especially the game crashes. Mm. That was definitely the worst because a quick saving, you know, it really wasn't that much of a big deal if I had to reload as long as it worked immediately the next time. Uh, but when the game crashed constantly, it was fucking annoying. Yeah, it sounds like it happened to you heaps as well. Like, it happened to me a decent amount, but not as much as you. Uh, it happened less to me near the end of the game, but near the start, it was, like, constant. I thought, you know, I was mm. like, can we... I almost thought maybe we should pick a different game for the week, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> no. After you subjected me to Lunar Silver Star Story... You were literally never getting out of anything ever. But this was my choice. Oh, yeah, it was, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, this would be you getting out <laughs> good, of it. Good, good point. Yeah, good point, Bob. <laughs> um, speaking uh, of that cliff, did you see that, like, broken house on the side of the cliff? Yes, I went up I went it. up there with the rope arrows. Yeah, and, and there's there was nothing, nothing there. there. Yeah. I was so angry. I was like, this is a secret. No, it was just the game didn't think he could get up there. That's a good segue into some of the level design stuff I wanted to talk about if you want to do that now. All right, let's music break and then we'll um, we'll touch on Sure. So I was higher than Patrick was on the music, as we've said. Um, I liked how bombastic and loud the orchestral themes got in a lot of places. So I chose one of those themes as the one to share with you guys. And that was... Wings of Destruction, which I think plays when you fight one of the uh, the worm or dragon type enemies in the game. So here is Pro probably the um probably the dragon, considering it's Wings of Destruction, James, and not the worm type. <laughs> How many worms do you know that have wings? Um, all of the ones spelt W Y R M. Oh, all right, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I admit so, uh... you were. I've I've been got. <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> I've been wrecked. There is a giant worm boss, which is like a literal, uh, earthworm sort of boss, which is why I got tricked. But, um, it looks like I've made a fool of myself. Touche, James. <laughs> Here it is, guys. <laughs>
I hope Patrick's recovered from his uh, embarrassing, <laughs> <laughs> embarrassing uh. take there. Um, you were going to lead us onto the level design before uh, that little gem. I was. Let, let's put that incident far behind us. The first time you've ever been right. Uh, so the level design is linear. This is a linear game. Yes. Occasionally, you'll get a secondary path that takes you to the same place. But on the whole, it's extremely linear. At first, the game does a really good job of selling you the illusion that its levels are more grandiose than they first appear. Yes. Because often what will happen is you'll walk into this beautiful sort of like open landscape and you'll see all these paths kind of like honeycombed into the environment around you. But then you realize that as you progress through it, that it is a single path yes. that kind of just curves around. And those, while you're getting previews of the upcoming environment and while you can see, I guess, the bends in the path, you can see future areas you'll be going to, the path that you're going on is a very straight line. Um, it's not like their later games like Dishonored and Prey where there's a lot more ways to progress through the environment um both on the micro and macro levels this is a very linear game and coming in and that's not you know intrinsically a bad thing of course but i think the game kind of sells a more grandiose version of itself than it actually is yeah because like early on you go to this town and you can actually it's quite open you can go to a lot of different places and a lot of different houses and explore and find secrets and then it does it does narrow it down a lot as the game goes on. I didn't mind it as much, and I think the game actually does a pretty good job of taking you to interesting locations. Like I really enjoyed going to the boat and all the necromancer crypts and and obviously I fucking hate spiders, but the the spider temple was cool. Honestly, like in terms of visual direction, and maybe we'll go back into the level design, but in terms of visual direction, I actually think that was one of my favorite parts of the game i think uh the the necromancer crypts that are gigantic in particular i think are really cool to look at um by by the crypts do you mean like the necromancer stronghold or the crypts right at the end of the game i think right at the, the ones right at the end of the game i did like the stronghold yeah. though yeah yeah what i was gonna say I, I know we're kind of dashing into aesthetics here but it's kind of it's kind of closely related because of how the aesthetics give this uh, illusion of grander level design. And I think that the levels that looked good were gorgeous. Yes. As you said, the crypts and the um, the Necromancer Stronghold, I think, had gorgeous lighting. Like, it's hard to believe it's on the Source Engine, actually, because yeah. it looks so good. And the Source Engine and Half-Life 2 and everything, they've never looked bad, but they do have this kind of... I want to say washed out color palette yes. that's kind of and I've played so many source games so I'm so used to that kind of look and the stuff I saw in the Necromancer Stronghold and the Crypts and a couple of times just when you kind of get to these more open areas and you can kind of see the vista in front of you it's a lot more impressive than uh the most anything I've seen in any source engine game but then you also had bits like in the town and everything, which I think looked incredibly mediocre. Like there were parts and, you know, the the sandy bits were just like look kind of shitty and look like like early 2000s games. 
At times, this game, I think, looked worse than Call of Duty 1, but when it looked good, it looked gorgeous. I think the times when it looks best are the when it makes use of the lighting engine, which you, yes. you, know, you mentioned, I think is also quite good. And like, like we said with Splinter Cell last fortnight, um, I think having like darker lighting really helps to hide a lot of muddy texturing work from these older games. Mm -hmm. And all of the good-looking levels in this game are the and darker dark. ones, right? Like all of the full bright levels, yeah, just you can you point. can see every like you know flaw and imperfection. But the darker ones, like I think, hides those and really lets the you know the visual direction shine because in these darker levels the visual design and the architecture really is very impressive i loved all the temples and the crypts and the strongholds i thought they were very you know tonally cohesive everything made sense and it just looked cool right yeah that that is an excellent distinction to make also even though the level design is linear it's still very spacious. Yes. Like we're talking we're talking big open halls with huge roofs. Like it, it's not like you feel cramped. Although, I mean, there are tunnels in this game, but it really does open up a lot. It's just that it opens up a lot and there's a doorway at either end and you go from one doorway to the next. This game mostly is just as linear as Splinter Cell is. It's just in much larger arenas a lot of the time. Yeah, I agree with that. And sometimes you'll be in the same room and you'll be jumping up on different platforms and that kind of thing. And, you know, the path yeah. you take to get to that other door isn't necessarily, you know, the same every time. Like you could use a rope arrow or you could clamber up ledges or, you, you know, um, I think sometimes there's different little paths in the same rooms. But, yeah, yes. for the most part, it's linear. And I think a lot of the... A lot of the level design focus is on, you know, placement of spikes and pits and fireplaces and that kind of thing. And, you know, like I said before, I don't think it's as good as it could have been in order to facilitate interesting decision making and gameplay. But, you know, I think they did you know, an okay job level design wise in general. Yeah, broadly speaking, I think that um, if this game was about half as long, it would have been pretty perfect. And I get that... There's a period of time, and it was around this 2006 game time, where short games were reviled. We hadn't yet got to that kind of full-on indie revolution where people were celebrating short games. But I would have enjoyed this game if it was more if it was half the length. Yeah. Because I think that by the, by the time you get towards the end, it really doesn't have any new ideas. It's just kind of recycling the same gimmicks. And there are just too many good games out there to want to do the same thing endlessly like it would have been far better to enjoy this experience more in a nutshell than um than have it all as stretched out as it was yeah so um with that in mind did you want to get uh down to final recommendations yeah sure thing so uh overall if if i had to ask would i recommend dark messiah of might and magic my answer is yes I think this game, that being said, I still think this game is overrated by the masses. I don't think this is like a phenomenal game by any stretch. I think it's incredibly buggy. I think it's broken. I think it's uh, its combat is crappy. But its environmental fucking around is enjoyable enough to sustain its playtime. Towards the end of the game, it starts to wear thin. Like the repetitive loot the lazy secrets, the fact that you've kind of like mastered the combat within two to three hours and you've kind of got this optimal streamlining of instant killing enemies means that 
you've just you just you're just fatigued and the story is terrible so you're not even getting sustained by that so yeah i've been extremely critical of this game this entire episode and i think with good reason but the physics messing around stuff is just good enough for me to recommend it because ultimately when i came back to it i wanted to keep coming back to it for like an hour or two and i was able to finish the game pretty quickly because i was having fun with it but but be warned that this game is not is not a masterpiece. It, it's it's a good bit of fun to mess around with, and nothing more than that. I think the biggest mark in the favor for Dark Messiah is that there really aren't many other games like it. Um, it's a pretty unique experience in that respect. Um, and because of that, uh, for me also, it gets a pretty easy recommend. I loved the gorgeous visual direction in this game. I loved the combat for the first, you know, half of the game. I loved getting new abilities and messing around with them. I loved setting up sneaky traps for enemies to fall into and messing around in the environment, ferreting out secrets and, you know, delving into these really arcane structures filled with some, you know, some pretty good ambient music, but, you know, just brilliant uh, visual design when it was there um i think that you know like patrick said this is a very flawed game as well it's buggy as all hell it crashes constantly the story isn't up to snuff um the characters aren't great with one exception and just in general you know there's a lot to criticize here but this is a unique experience and what is fun is really fun for most of the game um so yeah i'd give dark messiah of might and magic a pretty easy recommend however definitely definitely recommend you play a mage or a warrior and uh not a not a stealthy thief like patrick tried to <laughs> i mean it, it just depends what you're after like i mean the stealth is it's kind of stupid fun <laughs> i guess but yeah it's just the whole creative kill room of nine people is just some of the stupidest stealth shit i've ever done yeah um, and it, it reminds me of um i used to play this game called commandos which has kind of been re it's the same sort of gameplay as Shadow Tactics or Desperados. And what you used to be able to do was if you shot your gun, uh, guards would would run towards you and you could just keep shooting your gun in the same spot. The noise would bring the guards over, they'd run into your gunfire and you could just keep doing that until you'd killed 15 guards. And that's what the stealth is like in this game. It's just stupid. Bonus question before we move on to um, the next episode and our, you know, uh, advertising would you want arcane to give this style of game another shot in the current uh, climate a hundred percent i i think that the um the baseline of physics based messing around with stuff is a fascinating one and i brought up divinity original sin 2 before where you get to combine these different um elements in different ways to create you know even better effects and doing that in a first person mm. sort of like arena style thing could be really interesting it's a very challenging design thing though like i because once again how do you disincentivize going for you know instant kills and the best idea i have is you got to have different enemy varieties yes. that are weak to different sort of environmental messing around um, but it's I don't envy the team that has to come up with this game because <laughs> it won't be an easy one. But it has the potential to be a lot of fun. One of yeah. the best games I've ever played. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, so absolutely, it's it, it's it's a very interesting sort of um, 
premise and i do hope someone does something with it one day absolutely so that brings us to the end of the episode and before we tell you what we'll be playing next patrick has some uh, words of wisdom to share with you all well, the first thing I'd like to say is thank you everyone who's listened to this episode, has listened to any of our episodes. Always a delight to have you. We are the Retrospectives Podcast. Uh, I am Patrick Arthur and I was joined by my co-host, James Turlings. You can find all of our content on our website, which is rspodcast.net. We've got links to all of our um, social media there, but most importantly uh, is our link to our Discord and we'll put a link in the show notes as well. But we would love if you would come and join our Discord service to tell us your opinions on the games we've played or to tell us that our opinions are rubbish and exactly why they are rubbish. We enjoy arguing about video games. That's the whole reason we started this podcast. So we would love if you would drop on by. Alrighty. Well, you heard the man. Come over and uh, check us out on Discord and our website. And uh, as for next fortnight, Patrick... It is now your turn to pick a game. I also forgot that this week was uh, mine because Dark Messiah kind of has that aesthetic that uh, you kind of usually go for. But uh, what do you have in store for us next week? So um, this the one the game I'm doing for next fortnight is actually one that came uh, from a recommendation of one of our Discord users, uh, SPH, and it's a game that I am shocked I didn't even know existed. It's called No One Lives Forever, and it's a kind of Austin Powers, James Bondy sort of spoof sort of game that has FPS elements and stealth elements. So it's like the perfect game for me. It's got both a shooter and a stealth game fused into one. My two favorite genres. Patrick. How many stealth games have we done in a row think, at this point? I think we're, do we do we do we even count this know, game? Count, do we even does, count Dark Messiah as a stealth game? Yeah, does does Hitman count as a stealth game? Yes, it does. <laughs> it's more of a puzzle game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're doing another one, and unfortunately, that means that we probably can't do Thief Two for our next episode. But it'll come. It'll come. But yeah, the, it. I looked at this game, it looks really intriguing, it looks like the sort of game I'd like, so I'm really excited to give it a try, I'm really surprised I've never heard of it, but hopefully um, hopefully it's as good as advertised. Yeah, I'd never heard of it either, but I'm really intrigued with the, uh, the silly tone that it seems to uh, have going on, I think it could be a lot of fun, so I'm excited to give that a go, and um, yeah, you'll hear from us, you'll hear all about uh, No One Lives Forever on our, the next episode of the Retrospectors podcast. Until then, see you later. Adios, everyone.